Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Vici Properties fourth quarter and full year 2023 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. Please note that this conference call is being recorded today, February 23rd, 2024. I will now turn the call over to Samantha Gallagher, General Counsel with Vici Properties. Thank you, Operator, and good morning. Everyone should have access to the company's fourth quarter and full year 2023 earnings release and supplemental information. The release and supplemental information can be found in the investor section of the Vici Properties website at www.vciproperties.com. Some of our comments today will be forward-looking statements within the meaning of the federal securities laws. Forward-looking statements, which are usually identified by the use of words such as will, believe, expect, should, guidance, intends, outlook, projects, or other similar phrases, are subject to numerous risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from what we expect. Therefore, you should exercise caution in interpreting and relying on them. I refer you to the company's SEC filings for a more detailed discussion of the risks that could impact future operating results and financial condition. During the call, we will, dis- we will discuss certain non-GAAP measures, which we believe can be useful in evaluating the company's operating performance. These measures should not be considered in isolation or as a substitute for our financial results prepared in accordance with GAAP. A reconciliation of these measures to the most directly comparable GAAP measure is available on our website in our fourth quarter and full year 2023 earnings release, our supplemental information, and our filings with the SEC. For additional information with respect to non-GAAP measures of certain tenants and or counterparties discussed on this call, please refer to the respective company's public filings with the SEC. Hosting the call today, we have Ed Betoniak, Chief Executive Officer, John Payne, President and Chief Operating Officer, David Kieske, Chief Financial Officer, Gabe Wasserman, Chief Accounting Officer, and Moira McCluskey, Senior Vice President of Capital Markets. Ed and team will provide some opening remarks, and then we will open the call to questions. With that, I'll turn the call over to Ed. Thank you, Samantha, and good morning, everyone. I'll start this morning with a few words about 2023 Vici accomplishments and the way forward. John Payne will share our 2024 growth approach, and David Kieske will discuss our 2023 financial results and our 2024 guidance. Last week, last night, we announced final 2023 AFO per share of $2.15, representing year-over-year per share growth of 11.8%. Vici's 2023 AFFO growth will likely make Vici one of the 2023 income growth leaders among the 29 S&P 500 REITs that report AFFO per share. There are 30 S&P 500 REITs overall, representing approximately 90% of the U.S. REIT equity market capitalization at year-end. Vici's 2023 growth is largely the result of work we did in 2022, forging new relationships and new investments in both gaming and non both property acquisitions and property credit investments. I'm proud of our 2023 AFFO per share growth, but I'm also proud of what the Vici team did in 2023 to continue to produce growth for 2024 and beyond. Our investment activities in 2023 produced growth in our portfolio quality, geographic diversity, tenant diversity, and income. Indeed, when it comes to 2024 income growth, 
as David will discuss in a moment regarding our 2024 guidance. We expect our projected 2024 AFFO per share growth should put Vici well into the top half of the S&P 500 REIT 2024 AFFO per share growth table. It wasn't easy to produce future growth in 2023. It was tough to navigate in 2023. Most days in 2023, and frankly, most days in 2024 so far, remind me of my days living and working in Whistler, British Columbia, where a very challenging coastal mountain environment could result in days so foggy and whited out that we'd describe such days as skiing inside a milk bottle. But even amidst this low visibility, the Vici team kept pioneering in 2023. We invested in new geographies, including three new countries, and through our Bolero acquisition in U.S. non-commercial gaming states, such as Texas, California, and North Carolina. We invested in new categories, such as family recreation and youth sports. We expanded our partnerships with pilgrimage brands like Cabot and Canyon Ranch. We acquired the primary leasehold interest in New York's incomparable Chelsea Piers. Through our position as the leading owner of real estate on the Las Vegas Strip, we continue to work with our Las Vegas partners to capitalize on Las Vegas' leadership position in global entertainment and hospitality. I strongly believe Vici's investment in Las Vegas is one of the most compelling investments in the current global commercial real estate investing landscape, period, full stop. As we set out in our earnings release last night, in 2023, we announced and closed $1.8 billion of capital acquisitions and investments within the year. Note that these figures do not include the $2.8 billion closing of our Mandalay Bay MGM Grand joint venture in early January 2023, which we announced in early December 2022, including our assumption of the remaining $1.5 billion of CMBS debt. Of fundamental importance, our 2023 investing in gaming and non-gaming was accretive. Our announced 2023 capital investments were made at a blended initial unlevered investment yield of 7.7%. Our 2023 investing was also balance sheet enhancing. We funded this $1.8 billion of investment with approximately $1.6 billion of cash and equity and only about $200 million of incremental debt achieving an equity-to-debt funding ratio on that investment activity of 8 to 1, demonstrating our commitment to our long-range net leverage target of 5.0 to 5.5 times net debt to adjusted EBITDA. As we look ahead within 2024, despite the continued cloudy macroeconomic conditions and outlook, we begin 2024 with approximately $1.2 billion of cash and forward equity resources to deploy into continuing accretive growth. Needless to say, in a macro environment of constrained capital conditions, we believe our capital resources can and will be attractive to gaming and experiential operators who want to grow and or need liquidity. Finally, in 2024, we will continue to build a portfolio of quality. You've heard me say before that I believe Vici is the pioneer in bringing Class A real estate to net lease. By Class A, we mean real estate of great scale, great quality, and high mission criticality. And Vici enables investors to own Class A real estate 
within the strong economic transparency and integrity of the net lease model. What we can, must, and will do is continue to enable existing and potential Vici investors to understand fully the scale, quality, and mission criticality of our Class A real estate. To that end, we are proud to announce that we're launching today the Vici Properties Photo Book, a digital coffee table style book that brings to life the magnificence of the real estate owned by Vici. You can view this book online at our website, www.vichyproperties.com. And I thank Hayes Honey of our team for her great work in producing and publishing this book. I strongly encourage you to give this book a good viewing. If you're a Vichy shareholder, I believe the book will give you great pride in what you own. And with that, I'll now turn the call over to John. Thanks, Ed. Good morning to everyone. In 2023, Vichy was able to navigate a volatile, broader market backdrop, particularly for REITs, and consistently deployed capital in accretive manners throughout the year. Over the course of 2023, we deployed $1.8 billion at a blended yield of approximately 7.7% across investments that expanded our geographic reach domestically and internationally, broadened our investable universe across gaming, hospitality, and family entertainment, and deepened our ability to invest creatively through property-related credit investments. Our ability to transact successfully last year was due in part to the multi-year effort I've mentioned before on our earnings calls. Every day at Vici, our team shows up for work and focuses on developing and maintaining relationships with best-in-class, growth-oriented operators. While some REITs describe themselves simply as a landlord and position themselves to extract value from their tenants, we view ourselves as a long-term capital partner collaborating with our tenants to create value. This philosophy of serving as a capital partner and prioritizing relationships with operators who pursue growth energetically serves as our compass as we assess and underwrite opportunities in the current environment, an environment that is characterized by low visibility and fluctuating cost of capital. To that end, many of you have heard me speak over the years about our focus on growth, and it's also important to understand that there have been numerous situations in which we elect to not pursue opportunities. Vici is in the very fortunate position to have created significant shareholder value over the years. For example, we've grown our AFFO per share at 8.5% CAGR from 2018 through 2023, while our dividend has grown at a comparable high single-digit rate, and we do not believe we need to pursue growth purely for the sake of growing. For those of you who may be newer to our story, I would, to, I would like to touch on a few elements of our growth pillars that have allowed us to successfully complete $36 billion of accretive transaction volume in a little over six years. Number one, we work collaboratively with, with operating partners investing in growth opportunities and funding high ROI capital projects in order to achieve mutually beneficial outcomes. Number two, as the only S&P 500 REIT predominantly invested in the gaming industry, given 90% of our rent roll is derived from gaming investments, our team travels far and wide, visiting properties, studying new markets, assessing the landscape, and meeting with operators across regional, Las Vegas, and even international locations. 
Number three, we are supplementing our gaming investments with opportunities in experiential sectors that we believe are positioned to benefit from sexual tailwinds. We focus on sourcing transactions with operators who are positioning themselves for growth, including through roll-up in an industry, much as you saw with our Cabot and Bolero transactions announced in October of last year. And finally, number four, we constantly keep our eyes open for opportunities where Vici can get better by getting bigger, as demonstrated through the acquisition of MGM growth properties in 2022, which significantly expanded our footprint in Las Vegas, added Class A market-leading regional assets to our portfolio, improved our balance sheet to investment grade, and has positioned us for a long-term partnership with MGM Resorts, a world-class gaming, hospitality, and leisure operator. As we dive further into 2024, we hold firm to the criteria that has driven much of our track record to date while executing across our strategic pillars. In particular, we are adhering to prudent underwriting standards, ensuring your capital is appropriately compensated as we assess risk and pursue opportunities across different properties, markets, and asset classes. And as I said earlier, we maintain a preference for growth-focused operators with our entire team evaluating a partner's track record and, importantly, their use of proceeds, which typically explains intentions behind pursuing a transaction. We ultimately believe the right partnerships lead to the right opportunities, which feeds the flywheel of value creation through collaboration. We believe our commitment to developing and deepening relationships with great operators of all shapes and sizes, combined with our strong balance sheet and liquidity position, will afford us the ability to continue to executing accretive deals during a time when other REITs may be stuck, quote, skiing inside a milk bottle, unquote. Now I'll turn the call over to David, who will discuss our financial results and guidance. David? Thank you, John. It's great to speak with everyone today, and we appreciate your time. I want to start with our balance sheet. 2023 exemplifies the continued discipline we have maintained over our six-plus years of existence by ensuring that we allocate capital accretively, have a balance sheet and liquidity profile designed to weather all cycles, and provide the safety and protection our equity and credit partners deserve. During the year, we raised over $1.6 billion in forward equity. In January of 2023, we raised approximately a billion dollars in gross forward equity proceeds at a $33 price per share. Those proceeds were used throughout the year to accretively fund our transactions. We utilized our ATM program throughout 2023, raising $643 million in gross forward proceeds. That amount includes $390 million, which was raised in Q4 through the sale of 13.2 million shares via the forward and remains outstanding today. And subsequent to year end, in Q1 2024, we sold 9.7 million shares, raising $306 million in gross proceeds under our ATM via the forward. This brings our total outstanding forward equity to just under $700 million, bolstering our overall liquidity. Currently, we have approximately $3.5 billion in total liquidity, comprised of $523 million in cash, cash equivalents, and short-term investments as of December 31, 2023, $696 million of proceeds under our outstanding forwards, and $2.3 billion of availability under the revolving credit facility. 
In addition, our revolving credit facility has an accordion option allowing us to request additional lender commitments of up to a billion dollars. As we begin 2024, we believe we are extremely well positioned to navigate the current environment and do not need to raise any incremental capital as we sit here today. In terms of leverage, our total debt is currently $17.1 billion. Our net debt to fourth quarter adjusted to EBITDA annualized for a full year of activity from our recent acquisitions and excluding the impact of unsettled forward equity is approximately 5.5 times within our target leverage range. We have a weighted average interest rate of 4.35%, taking into account our hedge portfolio that we utilized in connection with our April 2022 inaugural investment grade offering and a weighted average 5.9 years to maturity. As of December 31st, we've entered into a series of forward starting interest rate swap agreements ahead of our May 1st $1.05 billion bond maturity, which has an aggregate notional amount of $500 million. This portfolio has an effective treasury rate of 4.04%. Just touching on the income statement, AFFO per share was $0.55 cents for the quarter, an increase of 8.8% compared to $0.51 cents for the quarter ended December 31, 2022. For the full year 2023, AFFO per share was $2.15, an increase of 11.8% compared to $1.93 for the full year 2022, and as Ed mentioned, making Beachy one of the leaders across the S&P 500 REITs. Our results once again highlight our highly efficient triple net model, given the increase in adjusted EBITDA as a proportion of the corresponding increase in revenue, and our margins continue to run strong in the high 90% range when eliminating non-cash items. Our GNA was $15.3 million for the quarter, and as a percentage of total revenues was only 1.6%. This continues to be one of the lowest ratios in not only the triple net sector, but across all REITs. Turning to our guidance, and as you saw in our release last night, we are initiating AFFO guidance for 2024 in both absolute dollars as well as on a per share basis. AFFO for the year ending December 31, 2024, is expected to be between $2.32 billion and $2.355 billion, or between $2.22 per share and $2.25 per share. Based on the midpoint of our 24 guidance, Vici expects to deliver year-over-year AFFO per share growth of 4%, a very attractive starting point as we begin 2024. And just as a reminder, our guidance does not include the impact on operating results from any announced but unclosed transactions, interest income from any loans that do not yet have final draw structures, possible future acquisitions or dispositions, capital markets activity, or other non-recurring transactions or items. And as we've mentioned previously, we record a non-cash CISO allowance on a quarterly basis, which due to its inherent unpredictability, leaves us unable to forecast net income and FFO with accuracy. Accordingly, our guidance is AFFO-focused, as we believe AFFO represents the best way of measuring the productivity of our equity investments and evaluating our financial performance and ability to pay dividends. With that, operator, please open the line for questions. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press star followed by two. When preparing to ask your question, please ensure your device is unmuted locally. Our first question comes from Anthony Pallone with JP Morgan. Your line is open. Please go ahead. 
Yeah, thank you. Good morning. Um, I guess my first question is just whether or not you could put some dimensions around your deal pipeline right now, either whether it's skewed somewhere geographically, uh, size, and, and maybe yields. Uh, I'll start, Tony, and uh, good morning. Good to speak with you, and, and then John and David can kick in. Um, I would say that, you know, in, in the spirit of our, our opening remarks, um, you know, we're obviously sober, as as you've heard from other REITs uh, in, in recent weeks, like Agri and Realty Income. You know, we're sober about the marketplace. Uh, we're sober about uh, the capital markets, and, you know, we're pretty sober about what kind of activity may be available to us. And yet, having said that, um, you know, John and the team continue to work the trap lines in such a way that, you know, we have a number of conversations going on, both in gaming and non-gaming, that have us very excited, and John can talk about that in a moment. The other point I want to emphasize, Tony, is that the magnitude of what we own uh, brings with it opportunities you wouldn't necessarily find in other REITs, given the nature of the property they own, um, especially when we look at Las Vegas, you know, where we've got, I think, John, 40-odd thousand hotel rooms. Uh, if you look just at an asset like the Venetian, uh, which including parking is 17 million square feet, given what's going on there, given the impact of the sphere, the opportunity of Patrick Nichol and the team to continue to, to asset manage, maximize the productivity of that asset, um, is so, so strong. I mean, it's a magnitude of building. And again, this goes back to my opening remarks uh, that we are going to continue to help the, the investment marketplace understand a magnitude of building such that there are th 300,000 square feet inside the 17 million square feet that have never gone past the concrete stage, concrete floors, concrete walls, concrete ceiling, 300,000 unfinished square feet. And with the job that the team at the Venetian is doing um, to maximize that asset, especially taking advantage of the sphere, um, that represents incremental investment opportunity or, or growth opportunity for us that you wouldn't likely find in most other REITs generally and in certainly not in triple net lease REITs uh, generally, which tend to have assets of 10,000 square feet, not 17 million square feet. But, John, you want to add to this? Tony, you can hear from uh, Ed's comments. He spent some time in Las Vegas recently, uh, <laughs> uh, which I have as well. I, I, you ask a question about what sectors, and I also think what locations. We we obviously have been spending a lot of time in Las Vegas. We we're very proud of our 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 partners' uh, success there, and uh, it looks like 24 is going to be a great year as well. And as you heard from my remarks, we continue to look at different target sectors, whether in wellness and indoor water parks, we pilgrimage golf, family entertainment center. We made our first investment in youth sports, um, which we like the mixed use of youth sports. So I, I continue to spend my time with my team and, and really the whole company looking at a variety of these and checking the boxes of which ones could make for long-term investments. And there are some sectors that we don't talk about that we've kind of checked off the list that says this is not right for our capital at this time. But we shouldn't confuse that the, the casino business continues to be a real focus of our our company and one that we are just can't be more proud of, of the operators and what they've done in, in 23 and what we see in 24. Okay, thanks. And then just I have one uh, kind of detail follow-up, um, maybe for David, because I was asked this a couple times overnight. Uh, just in your guidance, like how do you – just remind us how you're treating like the forward equity in the guidance share count, like, like what goes in there or not. 
Yeah, Tony, there's no uh, implied use of proceeds or, or drawdown. There's a little bit of impact from Treasury stock dilution in the ultimate share count, but that's the, the only impact. Okay. Another, another way of putting it, Tony, is uh, we're not assuming any, any credit or horsepower uh, from the funding, and we're taking actually a marginal penalty by virtue of having it on our, uh, well, we technically we don't have it on our balance sheet, but uh, given the treasury stock method. Okay, I understand, thank you. We now turn to Barry Jonas with Truist Securities. Your line is open, please go ahead. Hey guys, good morning. Um, wanted to start with the the, uh, the Caesars Center call option. Can you maybe just walk through different considerations as you're thinking about exercising it and specifically timing of that? Thanks. Well, you know, clearly, Barry, we want to be as opportunistic as we can be within our timing, given the nature of a the inherent nature of a call option. Um, and obviously, that timing will be predicated on what our cost of funding is. And and I don't think it would come as any surprise to anybody that we certainly would not choose to exercise our call option if in doing so, we were uh, creating dilution, which we don't ever want to do. Uh, and so going back to the theme of skiing inside a milk bottle, the visibility through 2024, given its current state, is such that it's hard to predict with any kind of exactitude uh, exactly when the right time would be. Got it, got it. And then Ed, maybe just more a higher level question. You know, you, you've done deals with tribes, uh, Native American tribes on commercial land before, but I was hoping you could talk more about the puts and takes with doing some type of deal structure on tribal land. And there's clear risks there, but it's something banks and debt investors have been able to overcome. And, uh, you know, I think it's a sizable market with clear financing needs. Thanks. Yeah. I'll start and I'll turn it over to John Barry. I, I read the notes from that recent uh, that recent session that you had, which were really interesting to read. I know one of the participants in your session sounded rather, uh, I won't say bullish, but seemed to say that, you know, there, there may be means to do it. I, I will tell you with complete candor, we haven't exactly figured out how that would work yet. Right. Uh, John, right? But Barry, but Barry, you touched on we've we've been uh, really excited to build relationships with three tribes in in the commercial uh, in their in the commercial sector, and it's something that we can continue to talk uh, with them and other uh, tribal partners that we've gotten to know to see could there be an opportunity to help them uh, grow on their nation's land. Um, but we have primarily been focused with our partners on the commercial sector, and we'll continue to to study that opportunity because, as Ed said, we saw the study. Or the report that came out as well. Great, thank you so much. Our next question comes from Caitlin Burrows with Goldman Sachs. Your line is open, please go ahead. Hi, good morning everyone. Um, I guess you guys have made it clear that a significant part of your business could be repeat business. So can you talk about maybe the pipeline and if we should see some repeat business in 2024 and or continue to see new operator partners pop up? Yeah, good morning, Caitlin. Uh, very good question uh, you ask. No question that we continue to meet with our 13 partners currently in, in gaming and non-gaming and talk about how our capital can help them grow over the coming years. And as 
Ed alluded to in the boxes that are in, I shouldn't even call them boxes in Las Vegas, the amazing resort, resorts we uh, own with partners in Las Vegas pro could provide with uh, a lot of opportunity uh, in, in the relatively near future and in the coming years as, as those partners look to grow, whether that's in uh, hotel rooms, new restaurants, new attractions. Ed mentioned, obviously, the sphere where that sits on our land. We weren't involved in the building or they're not our, necessarily our direct tenant. Um, but we see that as a pillar of growth uh, for our company over the coming years, not only in Las Vegas, but in our regional assets, because there are large regional assets, uh, whether that's the MGM assets in National Harbor or in Detroit, um, there are opportunities to grow as well. And then I think your second part of the question is, are we looking to continue to expand our tenant roster? And the, the answer is absolutely. Um, me, my team, Ed, David, Sam, anyone else in the company uh, is out uh, forging new relationships to see if there's new sectors or new companies that we can uh, use our capital to help them grow. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see some new new operators or new tenants in our roster uh, over the coming year. And, and Caitlin, let me just add on to that a little bit. Um, obviously, there's been there have been questions, um, and, and understandably, as to GCC, you know, why don't you just why don't you just do gaming and only gaming? Um, and you know, as we have emphasized on many many occasions, we are still for for all the time remaining going to be intensely focused on gaming, given what a great business it is uh, within Winston Real Estate. But one of the real benefits of investing in other experiential categories uh, is, well, first of all, comes with the fact that it's just fundamentally great real estate occupied by operators who offer very rich uh, and profitable uh, experiences to their end customers. So that's the fundamental reason to invest in other experiential. It's fundamentally good real estate. The second dimension to that is that it gives us a chance to grow when growth may not be available for gaming. And related to that, and this goes back to your initial question, Caitlin, one of the advantages we see in experiential operators like a Cabot, like a Canyon Ranch, like a Bolero, like a Great Wolf, is they have network growth opportunities that are not as readily available to our gaming operators. The nature of growth in new stores and gaming is such that it is always subject to very strict regulatory control. For Cabot, as an example, on the other hand, they have a global growth opportunity that can be seized with great energy and does not suffer the, the restrictions um, or, or the slowing down of cadence that tends to apply to gaming operators attempting to grow their network other than through M&A. Got it. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then maybe just back to the um, pipeline a bit. You guys were active with both sales, specs, and lending over the past 12 or so months, despite a quiet uh, CRE transaction market. And I know you mentioned how you're sober to the current situation, um, but you guys continued to invest in 23. So I was wondering if you could give some more detail on the pipeline today, maybe size, mix, and how that makes you think more specifically, maybe like the first half of 24 activity could end up being or what that could be like. Kayla, it's David. Great to, great to hear from you. Thanks for joining today. 
Look, the, the nature of our capital is relationship capital, and it's where we've been active both, as you just mentioned, on the loan side as well as the sale leaseback side. And it's, 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 as John talked about in his comments, solving our partners' objectives and, and being a source of, of growth capital. And sometimes that growth capital comes in the door day one, like you saw with our home field opportunity where they're building a facility and going to construct a, a very, very, very attractive experiential both sports and, and hotel asset. Which will lead to a sale leaseback. So it's it's we're always out talking about ways that we can help our partners grow and and to kind of put it in a percentage basket of X amount of loans and X amount of sale leasebacks. That's just not how we look at it or how we kind of parse our pipeline. It's about finding the great partners that, that we've talked about on this call. Okay, thank you. We now turn to Handel St. Just with Mizuho. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is Robbie Vade in the line for Hundell. Uh, hope you all are doing well. I uh, just noticed that the MES lending and construction financing is becoming a larger proportion of your capital deployment strategy. How should we think about the sizing of that relative to your broader acquisition pipeline, and how are you underwriting those return requirements and how, that, how that's changed over the last uh, 6 to 12 months? Thanks. Hey, Robbie, it's David. Good to hear from you. And it's, you know, I caught your question. It's how we think about kind of the, the spread on those MES loans, especially around development. Look, we always, we, there's a couple of ways that we look at it, and it's a little bit more art than science at, at the end of the day. But, you know, what's the cost of the senior? Is, is there a senior lender ahead of us? Are we achieving the right risk-adjusted spread to the senior? Obviously, what's the duration of our capital? What's the funding cadence of our capital? And then ultimately, how much, you know, what most every lender looks at, what's the, Who's the equity sponsor and how much equity is in the transaction um, and ensuring that we are protected from a credit standpoint at the end of the day and feel good about the project. And then to go back to the first part of your question, um, it, it will always be a minor percentage of our assets under management. Um, and we will use it. We will use it to forge relationships. We have an example, obviously, right in front of us of using lending to establish a relationship with Chelsea Peers that led to the acquisition of the primary leasehold interest in December. So we will use it both as a strategic tool to develop relationships and a strategic tool to tr create a steadier cadence to our capital allocation. We're very proud of the fact that we got capital out the door every single month in 2023. And I can tell you in our early years, there were whole quarters that went by where we did not get capital out the door, given what was true back then, which was that the nature of our capital allocation was big and lumpy, tied to big, lumpy gaming acquisitions. So it is a, it is a tool that can generate growth and return um, on a very steady basis. It is a strategic tool to forge relationships. And again, given some of the spreads we've been able to achieve in, in recent years, it is very lucrative, very accretive in driving earnings growth. And again, we're about creating earnings growth that others may not be to, able to achieve if they're not as energetic uh, and pioneering as we have been, both in terms of how we grow the business in terms of asset classes and through the use of our balance sheet. Got it. That's very helpful. Just, just one more here. Can you please discuss the opportunity with the Indiana assets? In your view, how attractive is the 7-7 call in the current market, and how would you theoretically fund uh, something like that? Thanks. 
Yeah, well, as I as I said in response to Barry, um, obviously 7.7 is not as attractive as when it was struck a few years back, when the call agreement was struck a few years back. And um, it, it'll be a call opportunity we will be excited about executing if it's an accretive opportunity and if it's not an accretive opportunity, uh, if in fact it would be a dilutive opportunity at 7.7, we would not do it. Thank you. Our next question comes from Chris Darling with Green Street. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks. Good morning, everybody. Uh, just going back to the, the Caesars call options uh, again, um, let's just for argument's sake assume that you do exercise those options. Uh, I'm just curious, how would you think about the deal structure from a rent coverage standpoint? Um, so I'm wondering, you know, would you possibly structure tighter rent coverage on a standalone basis if it made sense within kind of the larger master lease? Well, yeah, Chris. So the rent coverage uh, by virtue of the current call agreement is set um but we it, it is a subject of discussion um and and one we have and would like to continue to explore with caesars such that you know on an overall basis you know they and we are are at rent coverages that everybody feels really good about for decades to come All right, fair enough. Um, one more for you, just touching on the home field agreement. Uh, just hoping you can elaborate on the scope of the project, uh, potential future expansion. So I'm, I'm wondering what the, the total estimated investment is for the current development, um, how the team's thinking about scaling to additional locations over time, and just trying to wrap my arms around, you know, what the scope of investment might look like for Vici over time. Yeah, Chris, it's John. Um, as when we made the announcement a few months ago, we talked about um, spending a couple years studying the youth sports business. Um, and we learned a lot in that process. We also found an amazing partner in home field. We announced our first opportunity with them um, in the Kansas City area. Um, and they're building uh, not only the youth sports facility, but connected um, to a Margaritaville resort. So that's one of the things I, I think you'll continue to see is if we place other investments into the youth sports spaces, having numerous cash registers, not just having the fields to rent or the stadiums to rent, but also having connected to one operator who controls the restaurants, who controls the hotel rooms, and controls the sports fields. So this is a 110 million ish uh, initial investment with Home Field. Uh, we've not announced any further development, not only on that site, which does have opportunity to expand over time, but also other sites around the Midwest or the United States. But as, as with any partner uh, that we've talked about, whether that's in, with casino partners or with Cabot or Canyon Ranch and now Homefield, we hope that it's not just a, our, our only investment with them and we purposely took so much time to study the business to find the right partner to grow. I appreciate the thoughts. Thank you. We now turn to Greg McGuinness with Scotiabank. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning. So as you continue to invest in non-gaming assets, how should investors get comfortable with the more opaque tenant financials there? And what sort of premium are you receiving from an investment yield standpoint uh, as it compares to you know, a potential gaming investment? 
Yeah. So you 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 are right, um, Greg. If if we're if we're partnering with an experiential operator that's not public, uh, the tenant financials are not are not crystal clear. In the same way, they're not crystal clear across a whole lot of uh, net lease portfolios. And you know, at the end of the day. Uh, we obviously have to exercise our fiduciary responsibility to the greatest uh, degree possible in ensuring that the fundamental business is very, very supportive of the rent and the way in which our operating partners manage their balance sheets and liquidity is also of a strength that ensures that they won't be in positions where they're unable to meet the rent. Um, We've got a very rigorous underwriting practice. We obviously can take advantage of history in many of the categories, experiential categories that we're investing in. Um, And uh, again, at the end of the day, um, it's, it's it's up to us to make sure that they are of a strength that's going to enable them to weather whatever should come their way. But I will also emphasize that our key criteria, our first of four criteria in evaluating all investments, gaming and and experiential widely, is that the businesses be of lower than average cyclicality versus consumer discretionary at large, which we think is another risk mitigant when it comes to ensuring that they can cover the rent through thick and thin. Just to follow up on that, in the cases where you're you're providing construction loans, um, you know where maybe there's not kind of in place cash flows to be underwriting or evaluating, um, what's the process look like there when you're trying to get comfortable uh, in terms of lending that money and the ability to to recollect in the case that you know maybe cash flows don't hit quite the targets that were expected. Well, last dollar exposure is obviously one of the key criteria in ensuring that our last dollar exposure is at a level uh, whereby if, if, if we did end up owning the asset, that the operating economics are such that at the last dollar exposure level that we would be uh, lending at, we're still in good shape. Yeah, Greg, and then it comes down, as I mentioned, Quality of the sponsor, the amount of equity, so the overall also you know loan to cost or loan to value, and then the protections that are obviously do, you know ultimately documented in our, in our agreements. Um, but a lot of the sectors and we as like our sale leaseback investments, we study the sectors. You know indoor water parks, we studied for eighteen odd months, led by certain members of our team, and, and went deep into that sector before we did anything. And so it's getting gaining conviction, whether it be through direct real estate ownership or the lending uh, platform that we have of, of who the operator is, uh, the durability of the sector, and then the ultimate protections that we uh, can put in place. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks. And just a final one from me. Um, now I'd like to preface this question by acknowledging the great work that John and his team have done so far. And we know that you've added some great uh, members to the investment team as well. Uh, but given your sector low GNA, how do you balance that shareholder friendly expense line versus investing in a larger acquisitions team that could maybe help source and underwrite more investment opportunities? No, it's 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 a very it's a very fair strategic question, Greg, and it's it's a question we regularly wrestle with. I would say one of the ways in which we uh, we deal with, if you will, the underinvestment risk 
in GNA is by, I think, having forged some of the strongest partnership relationships of anybody out there. From day one, uh, we have treated our advisors as best as we possibly can. Uh, this means the investment banks, the other parties, the, the real estate advisory firms, such that we are always the first they call when they think there's a compelling opportunity. They are a force multiplier for us. Um, and uh, we we have great respect for them. Uh, we engage with them intensely, and we reward them uh, when when they do great work for us. And uh, and in in the uh, in the event we end up saving on G and A, which in an inflationary period has has really two benefits: overall low G and A to begin with, and less less inflationary impact on our G and A load. If it ever gets to the point where we feel we're shortchanging shareholders by running too thin, we will certainly add resources in the way we've obviously added resources here in the last couple of years. Thank you, Greg. We'll move okay, on to the you. next question, Elliot. Our next question comes from Nick Joseph with City. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Thanks. Uh, I want to get your... Uh uh, kind of commentary or thoughts on performance thus far of the font and flu. Uh, seems like mainstream media has been uh, favorable on it, but there's also been local articles on some uh, management changes there. So just wondering how, how performance has been. Nick, I, I, I won't necessarily talk about the, the financial performance, but what I will make a comment about is uh, what a beautiful asset. Uh, that was built by the team there, the, the Coke Industries, the Fountain Blue team, the operating team um, there that I, I haven't met anyone that walks through the place and says, oh, this is a miss. I think most people walk through the place and say, wow, uh, what an amazing place. And I think for those of us who have spent time operating in Las Vegas over the years, it takes time. It takes time to build up a database and it takes time, but they sure do have a facility that I think everyone is proud of and we sure are proud of. Yeah, and, uh, and Nick, you, you've given me the opportunity to vent a little bit uh, about, uh, about how utterly weary I am around the negativity of so much of the media coverage, which regularly gets proven to be way overly negative. Oh my God, the sphere is going to be a disaster. Um, I was in the UK earlier this week. I was struck by how many people wanted to talk about the sphere because they'd either already been or they're determined to go. And and again, media coverage around that, oh my God. Oh, F1's going to be a disaster. Well, guess what? It wasn't. The drivers loved it. The teams loved it. It was an amazing uh, weekend of business for our operating partners. So, oh, Super Bowl. You know, again, just just a phenomenal uh, phenomenal event for Las Vegas and for the NFL. So uh, I I absolutely agree with you. Uh, some of the press coverage has been quite negative, but we, we know the people involved. We know how hard they're working. We know how challenging what it is that they've set forth for themselves to open an unaffiliated property on the Strip. Um, and yet, again, that, that asset is utterly magnificent, and they're doing the right things to, to bring business to it over time. And with the backing of Coke, uh, you can be sure that the backing is strong enough that they have the patience, but moreover the firepower to to make this work in due course. Thanks, that's very helpful. And then uh, just, I know we've talked a lot on the pipeline and the best opportunities, um, kind of the more sober environment out there, but you know, if I just think about kind of the stickiness of, of cap rates, I mean, where are you seeing the most, at least pricing power expansion 
where you know, it probably makes a little more sense in today's environment uh, versus I would imagine some others where, where it's a bit stickier. <laughs> Nick, are you, excuse me, are you talking about cap rate variability across various experiential asset classes? Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know, John and David, I don't know that we've seen a tremendous amount of variability across asset classes. We're obviously not seeing a tremendous amount of trading, and yet you obviously saw with our unlevered 7.7% yield for the $1.8 billion we put out the door in 2023, um, that we have obviously been able to acquire income at higher yields. I, I, I would have a tough time generalizing, but David and John, I don't know if you want to add. Yeah, I would... I think you covered it well, but Nick, I mean, it's no different than any other, any other asset class that you're in kind of the broader net lease. Uh, you're just, you have bid ask spreads and, and buyers obviously willing, or sorry, sellers willingness to transact around a, a, you know, in a backdrop where there's the volatility and variability that we've talked about. And so there's, there's opportunity out there, but it's, it's a, you know, no different than the broader CRE market. It's somewhat of a, a bit of a quieter environment and just an air of caution cautious on both sides until we kind of figure out you know where the where the tenure is going or where the where the broader economy is going thanks Seth. thank you we now turn to jim Cummins with epicor isi your line is open please go ahead uh, good morning thank you obviously uh, vici is going to remain very much a gaming focused investing and operating company but you know, you mentioned that you vetted thoroughly some sort of other verticals didn't pan out, which is all logical. But could you quantify? Do you think that your total addressable market or investment opportunity set for new potential verticals, you know, continues to expand? Just trying to figure out if your overall catch basin is sort of winnowing or, or widening. Thank you. Oh, it's definitely, definitely widening. widening. Yeah, definitely widening. Uh, we. As, as there are a few that were saying, hey, we, we ultimately not right for us today, uh, there's other opportunities that um, uh, come about that we study, we learn who the operators are, we learn where their locations are, we spend time with them. So no, no question uh, the funnel is getting wider. Yeah, and I'll give you an example of that, Jim. Um, when you really begin to know a category, as, as David has spoken of, uh, as you get to know the, if, if you will, the water experience category, uh, which we first invested in through Great Wolf. Um, what's really been remarkable over the last few years is the way in which uh, really creative, innovative operators are taking water experiences and continuing to innovate around them, not simply for kids uh, losing their minds, uh, and spending their parents' money at Great Wolf, but also uh, water experiences that are more focused on an adult crowd. Um, and that's, that's really exciting to witness because of the growth opportunities it represents within the category and, and across multiple geographies. Great, thank you. And one small item. It's been in the press that there is some tax dispute underway at MGM National Harbor. It's obviously an important asset for VG, but would that have uh, any details around that and would it have any implications for for you as landlord? Thank you. Yeah, we, that would be a tenant matter, so we wouldn't comment on that. Okay, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jim. Our next question comes from West Holiday with Bad. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, everyone. Just looking at the photo book you sent out to everyone. 
uh, more specifically looking at the Mirage in Las Vegas, uh, is there anything that's going to go on in the next year uh, on this asset? And if, if so, what would be the scope and time to build? Yeah, Wes, it's John. It's nice to nice to talk to you. And probably a question for the uh, our great partner in Hard Rock on uh, timing. But I think they've, as you've probably been following the story, uh, they acquired the operations of the Mirage a little over a year a year ago from from MGM and have been operating, but have also been out um, getting approvals and designing the opportunity to change the facility from the Mirage to the Hard Rock Las Vegas. As it pertains to timing and budget and construction and that, it's probably um, something that uh, they'll lead that charge. Uh, but we, of course, as the, the owner of the property, are excited to watch that, that asset get repositioned over time. Um, it obviously an amazing asset for a long period of time. Um, but I think everyone would think of a hard rock uh, Las Vegas would, would do great on that site. Okay, thanks for that. And then maybe just one on the financing front. You do have the billion dollars maturing this year. You have the 500 million of swaps. Are you looking at doing a, an unsecured to take those out or maybe a mix of term loans and unsecured? How, how are you thinking about that? Yeah, Wes, it's David. We will focus on continuing to access the unsecured market and, and extend our maturity tenor and, and increase the overall size of our investment grade basket. Those are legacy MGP high yield notes. So moving those to unsecured investment grade notes benefits our overall credit complex for the long run. Thank you. You now turn to Daniel Guglielmo with Capital One Securities. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hi, everyone. Thanks for taking my questions. Just just thinking about the credit opportunities in Experiential, you all have been on the journey for some time now and, and thinking about the opportunities in the process for closing on the partnerships. What what type of competition is in the other room these days and, and high level, how has that changed over the last few years? And Daniel, you're talking about uh, how has the competitive landscape of, of lending uh, evolved over the last few years? Yeah, like the, the fund, yeah. Yeah, well, obviously, um, you know, we've, we're looking at a period over the last couple of years in which, you know, conventional bank financing um, has definitely diminished as a source of funding uh, for experiential placemakers and operators. Uh, and uh, at the same time, obviously, you've seen uh, the upsurge of private credit, of which we are part. Um, and I would say that in many cases, we are being invited in to the funding opportunity because of our track record and experiential and, um, and the endorsement that our underwriting process brings to a project that we choose to be involved in. We obviously look at them really rigorously and, uh, and we again, I would say we get invited in a lot to processes as opposed to having to scour the landscape uh, and, and throw our hats in the ring. Great, thank you. Um, and then you, you all have had, you know, such tremendous growth with, with some some pretty big deals over the last few years. And, and thinking about kind of similar risk-adjusted opportunities, are there are there areas that you see kind of uh, I would say like like big hitter opportunities or transactions out there? Um, not just thinking next year, but maybe down like the line five years um, from now, that horizon. 
Dan, nice to talk to you this morning. Um, I'll just go back to our assets in Las Vegas, and I, I don't know how you're describing big big hitter, but if there are opportunities for us to in, continue to invest in assets that we already own and help the operator grow uh, with accretive a um, new projects, I'll consider that being uh, uh, big, big hitting because I'm not sure there's a better place in the world to invest in right now than, than Las Vegas. Obviously, we've got a portfolio there, um, but there are some amazing assets. Ed referred to the Venetian that has a, a lot of footprint to continue to be developed. So, if you and then, you know, I think, John, we can add in, obviously, uh, uh, MGM, the MGM property in Yonkers, should they be granted a full gaming license that'll obviously that's property we already own uh daniel that would obviously represent a significant incremental investment opportunity but contingent of course on how uh how the license award process plays out great thank you we now turn to jay cornreich with wetbush securities your line is open please go ahead Hey, thanks so much. Good morning. As you look to expand the non-gaming segment, should we continue to expect loans on the relatively smaller side for you as a way to step into longer-term relationships, or would you be willing to take kind of a larger bite into either the real estate or debt in a new asset type in a much bigger way, say, you know, over a billion dollars? Oh, boy. Uh, that would be a pretty big number, uh, Jay. Um, you know, it, but uh, the, the check sizes you're referring to they may look small in relation to our overall scale, uh, but I would tell you in, in read terms, they're pretty big checks. Um, these, these are not small assets, and they're certainly not small in economic productivity. Um, and so, you know, if we can do 50 to $100 million and up, uh, you know, uh, loans on assets that we either have a direct path to ownership on or a potential path to ownership on, you add those up and you, you can get to a billion dollars in aggregate. But obviously, by not having it all in one single investment, uh, we are obviously spreading out our risk and amplifying our opportunities to develop new relationships. Okay, uh, appreciate that. And then just a quick follow-up on, I guess, the leverage. You know, you're now at five and a half times, which is in your five to you know five and a half times range. So should we expect new transactions to be funded, I guess, with incrementally more debt capital at this point, or do you intend to continue to over-equitize new deals and you know get that leverage further down? Yeah, Jay, it's David. Sorry, we um. We will continue to migrate our leverage down. We're obviously within our target range. And, you know, just to recap everybody, post-MGP, we take the leverage up to 5.8 times and worked very hard to get that back down to 5.5 times at the end of the last year. So that'll continue to, to drift downward, both from a over-equitization of transactions and, and then, depending on the size, leverage-neutral transactions. Okay. All right. Thanks very much. Our next question comes from John with CBRE. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Good morning, everyone. Um, we got through almost an hour here, and I think only one one mention of F1. Uh, so, so Ed, to kind of go back to your okay. sports triangle um, in in Las Vegas, and you guys have some land. 
you know, the F1 paddock. And, you know, you, you talk about this every once in a while, but curious your thoughts on uh, on professional sports, stadiums, that type of investment, and maybe specifically in the context of, of Las Vegas, given, you know, all the development around professional sports that we're seeing there and, and your land and partners. Yeah, I, you know, I would say, John, um, it, you know, it's professional sports. It's obviously the emergence of this fear. It, it's the overall growth of Las Vegas. And we obviously have the vacant land, uh, but probably even more valuable uh, is the land we already own. You referred to the triangle formed by A Stadium, T-Mobile, and Allegiant. Uh, we own everything inside that triangle. MGM operates everything inside that triangle. If you think about where the A Stadium would is is going to go. We own three of those four corners in uh, MGM Grand, Excalibur, and New York, New York. Uh, I know MGM uh, is very excited about the uh, about the repositioning opportunities uh, at those four corners, and, and it, it, it applies to so many of the other assets that we own up and down the Strip, as well as, you say, that vacant land. I just can't, again, emphasize enough how incredibly uh, valuable it is to have the position we have in Las Vegas because Las Vegas is reaching a global critical mass that really no other place on earth right now rivals. Not Orlando, uh, not Macau, the way things have evolved there. Las Vegas is a category of one and we are very happy to be the leading uh, owner of real estate in a place that is a global category of one. Very good. Thanks. That may be uh, just one, since a lot of people are asking me, is the photo book going to be available in hard copy? Uh, we actually have printed a few, um, and if anybody really, really wants one, they should, uh, they should, give, uh, they should give me a call uh, at their earliest convenience. <laughs> Thanks. That's fantastic. Thanks, John. Elliot, I think we're probably about wrapped up, right? Yes, this concludes our Q&A. I'll now hand back to Edward Petoniak, CEO, for final remarks. Thank you, Elliot, and thanks, everyone, for your time today. And please, please do go to www.vgproperties.com under our portfolio heading to view our brand-new Vici Properties photo book. It's a magnificent book about your magnificent properties. Bye for now.